Welcome to the Life and Rhythm Podcast, where we hope to equip rhythm communities to be formed by God, with one another, for the good of others, in the valley as it is in heaven. Welcome, everybody. Welcome <laughs> to the Life and Rhythm Podcast. <laughs> I'm I don't Fumble. know why I did. I did a little like Southern draw there. You did. I like. I like your different radio voices. Welcome to the Life and Rhythm Podcast. <laughs> Who are you? Are you Adam Ever? Yeah, well, you know, I'm just channeling my inner Brian Johnson. <laughs> I really That's just want to know if he listens to this. An ode so to Brian. Should, yeah, there you go. There we go. Casey Underground. Love those guys. What are we talking about today? Man, we've been on the disciple-making pathway for this whole time this since whole time. we started recording these podcasts. Yeah. And we are finally on multiplication. So... Yeah. What comes out of this whole journey is multiplication. So let's talk about that, Matt. Yeah. Well, I want to start with the words of Jesus, Matthew 16. Good place to start. Hmm. He says, and I also say to you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. Hmm. So remember last week when we were talking with Wade and we said that anything that can be done in anxiety can be done better in peace, right? As a quote by Dallas Willard. I think that some of us in the disciple-making movement pathway that we can get anxious about that and almost think like we're the ones building the church, right? And so I like this quote by Mike Breen. Uh, it's from his book, Building a Discipling Culture. Let this hit you in the face today. If you're... <laughs> If you're if you're get a little bit real, asleep listening to this, get real comfortable. All right, right now. just yeah, lean in. Let this hit you. Jesus has not called you to build his church. In fact, in all the gospels, he mentions the church only two times. One time he mentions it; it's about conflict resolution. The other time is to say that he, Jesus, will build his church. Our job. This is a powerful. This is a powerful statement. Our only job. And the last instructions that Jesus gave us was to make disciples. And out of this, we're going to get the church. Out of this, the future will emerge. And out of this, there will be a missional wave, the likes of which we have never seen. Dang. Come on now. And so going even further back before the life of Jesus, what's the first command that God gives us? Be fruitful and multiply. And multiply, all right? So multiplication is right there. It's almost as God is saying like, I have created this world that you can mine endless possibilities out of the soil and the sky. And like the iPhone is there, just you gotta cultivate it. Mm. (laughs) It's gonna come a thousand years later, but it's up to you humans. I'm giving you the authority to be fruitful and to multiply, to expand this thing. And then after the flood, Genesis 6, what does he say to Noah? Exact same thing, same command. Hey, Noah, be fruitful. Multiply. Abraham, Genesis 12. Multiply until your people are as numerous as the grain in the sand, the stars in the sky. That's a beautiful picture. And then even fast forward beyond Jesus into the book of Revelation. What what do we see in the book of Revelation? We see a multitude diverse Mm. from every nation, every tribe, too large to count. There is a multiplicative effect. Mm of the gospel in the world, of the good news. And so one of the books that we've been digging into is John Dickerson's book, The Great Evangelical Recession, talking just about how we need more than converts in the American church, that we need to make disciples that can make 
disciples, right? So we need to see multiplication become a priority. And he has this quote as well. He says, it's not just about convincing converts, but making disciples. It's not just about filling seats in auditoriums, but training the souls of transformed individuals. Hmm. So how are we valuing the quality of our discipleship more than just the quantity of our attendance? Hmm. Jesus's words in life reveal that the evangelical followers of today can know whether they are succeeding or failing by this, whether new growing disciples are being made or not. Dang. That's the mark of success. And there is a massive problem in the United States. And it's not just a model problem, it's a mindset yeah. problem. And, and so there's, there's a lot of stats out there right yeah, now. Yeah, there is, man. Gosh, there's so much going through my mind right now. <laughs> you know, the first thought I had this morning, huh. woke up at four o'clock because Thanks, my Lincoln. son will not stay in his crib. And I don't know why I thought this, but I, the question just popped in my head, like, am I building my kingdom? Mm. That was the question. And then what differentiates my kingdom that I'm building, my, the work that I get to do, right, versus God's kingdom that's already here and established, that's being made and created as we continue to partner with him? Mm. And it's like, there's just so much in me that is the problem. So before we get into like the stats and the data and all those things, like what, what would you say, Matt, as we've been talking through this, um, particularly about like, you know, that quote that you mentioned with Dallas Willard, what could be done in anxiety can also can be done in peace. Better. Better in peace, right? <laughs> yeah. So what is it about us, like intrinsically within us, that we start to build up these kingdoms for ourselves? I heard somebody say it this way that God created us in his image and we've been returning the favor ever since. <laughs> and so we try to be like, we try to be God in flesh. We try to be this person to other people and build our kingdom instead of submitting and humbling and being attentive to the spirit leading and actually allow Jesus to be Jesus, yeah. to allow the spirit to be the spirit and for us just to follow and submit. What is, what is it about our psyche? What is it about our sin problem first before we get into maybe yeah. some of the other issues? Well, my mind just goes all the way again back to Genesis where what's like the climax of evil in that story? Is it before Genesis 6, before the flood, or is it after? I think it's after in Genesis 11 hmm. with the Tower of Babel. And you see how sin evil has crept in and just got its tentacles in every part of the human soul, in the mind and in the body and in motivation. And they want to build their empire. They mm -hmm. want to build a tower. And what does God do? He confuses the languages. And almost the very next paragraph is about him now going to restore the world through a family, through Abraham. And it also makes me think of Romans 7, where Paul, the apostle Paul is just over and over again saying like, Everything I don't want to do, I do that. <laughs> and then the things I should do, I don't do that. <laughs> and then I, 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 I. I think it's like 17 times he's like, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And, and I resonate with that because in America, it is all about building your empire over God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. And I, I've seen tattoos like that. I like those of guys saying, you know, I just envision on their arms like the word kingdom and then a, a line over empire. Mm. 
just trying to create this mindset of what if it's not about building my little kingdom? What if it's not about my empire? What if it really is about God's rule and reign coming to earth as it is in heaven? But anyways, Romans 7, I, 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 I. And then what's the first statement of Romans 8? Or yeah, that everybody knows. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then like 19 times in Romans 8, what does it mention as the remedy for that sinfulness, for that I, 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 I. He just talks about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Mm. Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Now you have a new power within you that's working in contrast to your flesh, the Holy Spirit. Yes. Right? And so if we could just dig a little little deep, if we can kind of shift for just a second and talk theologically, I think one of the things that's paralyzing American Christians in discipleship and in spiritual formation is they put Jesus on this pedestal that Jesus never put himself on. He was like us in every way. Mm-hmm. Hebrews 5 says he had to learn obedience mm. through suffering. Luke 2 says he grew in wisdom and in stature. You see Jesus asking questions. He, he had a, I like what Dan Spader says, he had a God card in his wallet that he could use at any time, yeah. but he chooses to humble himself and not tap into his divinity one time so that he could show his disciples, this is what it looks like to live in the power of the spirit. And so I I think the only key in living this out, this multiplication thing out, is the Holy Spirit. If we Mm. don't learn to walk by the spirit, to keep in step with the spirit, we're never gonna do it. Which is why I think Jesus gets away 45 times in the gospels. Dude. Over and over again, where's he at? Where's Jesus? We lost Jesus. He's with his father, he's alone. Yeah. That yeah, solitude it, piece. And that, that correct view of that, so the, to use a churchy term, Christology. Yeah. I heard somebody say this. And I, I'm, I don't know. I'm going to rip it <laughs> off of somebody. So this is not me. Yeah. But that correct view of Jesus is so, so, so important, especially yeah. in the East Valley where we are right now. We have a view of Jesus from the Mormon church that is radically incorrect. What's interesting about it for me living in a highly Mormon area is that, and you know, I don't want to say this, but there's been that view within the Christian church as well. Yeah. That if I become, if I do good works, if I work really, really, really hard, I become like a God. Yeah. Right. And even though we wouldn't say those words, our actions reflect that. Mm-hmm. And so an inaccurate view of who Christ is, fully man, fully God, yeah. exactly what you said. He did not use his, no. his trump card. That's one of my only theological terms that stuck with me early on yeah. at Moody was the hypostatic union. I remember hearing that for the first time and having to say that over and over again, hypostatic <laughs> union. What the trash is that? And my professor saying, this is probably the most important theological doctrine out there that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And people have written 100-page dissertations, PhD-level stuff on Hmm. trying to figure out, what does that mean? Jesus is fully God and yet fully man, completely like us, yet fully divine. Um, And I like the illustration of the king who like exits out of his throne room and he puts on different clothes Hmm. and walks among them. And he has access to the riches of the kingdom, but he never taps into his kingdom to his kingly resources, he lives as a beggar. Yeah. 
hmm. amongst the other people and shows them how to live within his kingdom. Hmm. I like that. Because uh, I do think Jesus isn't playing a trick on us. He's not saying, look what I did. You'll never do this. Otherwise, 1 John 2, 6 wouldn't say, uh, everyone who calls himself a Christian, everyone has to walk as Jesus walked. But how did he mm. walk? In the power of the spirit. That's how. That's huge, dude. Yeah, so Christology, so our, our understanding of who Christ is, um, times our eschatology. End times. The end times. The end so times. we're not plucked up from the sky and sent to heaven so that we can... Yeah. You know, and, and the question, I think we've asked this before on the podcast, if if God wasn't in heaven, would you still want to go? Yeah, would you even want to be there? You know, so I think this idea of like, I could just go and everything, you know, no pain, no hurt, no grief, no, you know, no death, no nothing. Mm-hmm. I get to have all the amenities that I have currently without all the anguish, right? Yeah. And that's our picture of heaven. And that's without the union of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit fully us and fully intact in that relationship yeah. forever and ever, right? Yeah. And so we think this this idea that we're just, you know, the earth is just going to destroy, but Jesus says to pray, this is simple. We pray this prayer for the valley as it is in heaven. Like yeah. we pray for, you know, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, that we have a participation in that. So our understanding of the end times is our understanding of heaven starts today, like that we get to live into heaven today. And we get to choose that. Every second of every day, we get to choose heaven or choose hell. Yeah. And we see that all around us. Yeah. And how we display the character and the calling of Jesus in our lives. Yeah. And so that equals, so that Christology times our eschatology equals our missiology. Yeah. So when we get those two things right, when we look at the right reflection of who Jesus is in our lives, and we look at the the end result. Like where is this story this is going? happening yeah. right today? I yeah. need to be a part of it. That then fuels my mission. It fuels my opportunity. Yeah. And I think that perspective is huge for us when it comes to what we're talking about today, multiplication. I do too. Yeah, because I, th- I think that Jesus had a very specific way of training up the 12. I, I don't think he was unintentional about how am I going to start something that's going to last beyond myself in the power of the spirit. So, and he tells his disciples, don't you dare go out. You're not fully equipped without the Holy Spirit. You've been with me for three years. You just wait in a room and wait for the Holy Spirit to descend because without the Holy Spirit, you, can do, you can't do this. But in the gospels, again, if you do a study of the gospels, people argue about this, but he only 17 times is with the masses. If you look, how many times has Jesus focused his equipping on training the masses? 17 times. And in those times, who's he actually directing the conversation to most of the time? His disciples, the few, the few people that are with him. And then how many times do you see Jesus with his 12? Like 46 times, I think. Hmm. 46 times, over 17, that he's focused on the few. Did you just know that number? <clears throat> well, so a lot of what I'm saying, <laughs> let me give credit to where credit's due. I didn't do this study. Uh, some of this comes of uh, Bruce's book, The Training of the Twelve. That's a like a classic work. Robert Coleman's The Master Plan of Evangelism. But yeah. I, I heard it first through Dan Spader's stuff. Okay. Walking as Jesus Walked, his book, his 50-day devotional. Uh, my favorite book of his, Four Chair Discipling. Yeah. I just heard a, a pastor in India just bought 10,000 copies of that book. Holy cow. Because he was like, we need to train people on how to make disciples. And he was like, this is the best book I've ever found. And it really is for me too. Of like, Dan's like, thank you. Thank you for the 10,000 books. 
<laughs> so yeah, I, I don't know this, but I have, I've memorized that over time of just the importance of focusing on a few. You love everybody and you wanna reach the world, but you don't do that just by, the masses are fickle, right? That's what Robert Coleman says in the Master Plan of Evangelism. Jesus knows the fickleness of the crowd and he's looking for a devoted few. He's more focused yeah. on training the few. It, it, and that really is kind of the heart behind multiplication. Right. It, and we talked about how we got onto this is, you know, what is the problem? <laughs> and, uh, and so we went on a little bit of a rabbit a trail bit here. Tangent. But, you know, I, I, originally what we're going to do is throw out a bunch of stats. And I'm, I'm not, we could put some stats in the show notes or whatever. But, like, it really doesn't matter what the stats are in America we understand that it's not what we're doing is not working. It's not producing disciples that make disciples. And if you say otherwise, you're freaking crazy. Okay. <laughs> but the reality is like nothing's changed. And so we look at addition versus multiplication. And I think it points back to what we're talking about, this kingdom and empire tension that we live in, that are we do the things that we don't want to do, we don't do the things we want to do. And it's like we live in this world where we're battling flesh and spirit and our flesh is dominating so much of the time. And I think the reason for that, you know, the problem that I'm seeing, we've been talking about this a lot. I don't think we shared it on the podcast yet, but it's this idea of comparison and compartmentalization. And so for us as missionaries or for us as disciple makers, right? So following Jesus, the ways of Jesus, doing the things of Jesus you know, we, we get into this rut where we start to compare our lives with somebody else. Yeah. And it's a lot about capacity. What do you have today to offer God? And what you have is kind of like the widow's might. It's like, give it all, right? But what you have is different than what she has across the street or, yeah. you know, they have across, you know, the world or whatever it may be. But like, this is what you have. And, yeah. and the detriment is when we start to compare what Jesus has called us to do today not yesterday, not you know, not tomorrow, but today, this moment, right now. Yeah. And we start to compare and we get paralyzed. I can't do this. I can't do that. You know, and often our comparisons are out of flesh and not out of spirit. Mm -hmm. Often our comparisons are, well, I can never speak in a crowd. I can never lead thousands. I can never do those types of things. And Jesus, to your point, Matt, actually, you know what? I... I didn't actually reflect that. <laughs> I, I poured into a few, and that's what I'm asking you to do. Yeah, and even the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, if you feel like, I mean, let's just look at the leaders that God chooses over the history of the church and even Israel. Why does he choose Moses, who can't speak? He probably has a stuttering problem. Cannot, he does not, he's not eloquent. Why is it in the New Testament the Apostle you Paul to me when you said that. says, I'm pointing to myself, I'm going back and forth. <laughs> For our viewers that are listening. <laughs> Why is it eloquent. that he chooses? <laughs> he just pointed to me. Wow. Thanks, Matt. You're welcome. That just means God's going to use you more than me. That's all it means. So the Apostle Paul says, I'm not eloquent. And as a matter of fact, I intentionally don't speak with eloquence because I think that will actually lose the power of the gospel. That's what I've been doing. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I think you're a good speaker. Sorry. But can we talk for a minute about how multiplication isn't just something we chase after? Because I do think it can be an idol for us. And when you see the power of multiplication, right? So this illustration, I don't know if you all have heard of this before, but would you rather have a penny that is doubled every day 
that's multiplied by two every day for 30 days? Or would you rather have a dollar? Ask your kid that. Would you rather have a dollar a day for 30 days? And you're going to have $30 yes. at the end. If you actually multiply a penny every single day, it doubles every day for 30 days, you get over $5.3 million. Do the math. It's Google insane. that. Say, Google, a penny doubled every day is 5368709 Like, you're going to get the power of multiplication is that initially multiplication looks slower than giving you a dollar a day. Yeah. But in the long run, addition will never keep pace with that. And so what I would like to talk about, number one, how do we see multiplication happen as an indirect result? Not something Mm -hmm. we just chase after, but as an indirect result of a few things, I think. And then how does that look within within rhythm, within the family here? So I'll, I'll say, I think that it's an indirect result of being led by the spirit, which we've already emphasized over and over again, that the key to the Christian life is the power of the Holy Spirit, the resurrection power within you, the same power that anointed Mary to be pregnant with Jesus, the same one that led Jesus out into ministry and into the desert, the same one that raised him from the dead, the same one that empowered the early church. We cannot do this unless we learn to walk by the Spirit. So I think it's an indirect. We'll see multiplication as we follow the Spirit. And number two, I would say it requires death to self, which this may be the most un-American part of all this, is like, if you really wanna see multiplication, Jesus gives parable after parable of a a grain of wheat cannot multiply unless it falls into the ground and dies. Hmm. And how many times does Jesus look at his disciples, his closest friends and say, you wanna follow me? You're gonna have to lose your life. Hmm. And probably the greatest hindrance in, in in our world right now, one of the greatest hindrances to multiplication is that we've made authentic community an idol. And we've actually chased more more at, I want to have authentic community with people. I really want to do life with people to feed me and my community needs because I feel so isolated and lonely. But what does it look like to die to that and say, no, I'm actually willing to leave my comfort, leave my authentic community so that other people might have authentic community. Yeah. What does it look like to actually lay that idol down and say, I'm, I'm actually more focused on the mission and person of Jesus than I am on my own self gain. Because I think that's a massive hindrance to multiplication in the States. You see people bragging, like I've been yeah. in the same small group for 25 years. Yeah. What? Yeah, and dude, and, and I, didn't, I didn't share the second problem or the, the so I said comparison. And then I th- to me, when I hear that, it's compartmentalization. Yeah. So like, it's easy for me to be a person that you want me to be or that I think that you think that I am in an environment such as a small group and then be like divorce rates are not going down. Mm. Like adultery is not going down. Like sin problem is still evident in America and small group numbers are rising. Like what, what, what's going on there? You know what I mean? Like it's not a matter of being connected to people just in proximity. Yeah, It's about being connected to the Holy Spirit and allowing the spirit to lead a community on mission. Mm-hmm. Like then community just comes as a byproduct of that. Yeah. And and so when we compartmentalize our lives, like I can be somebody that you need me to be in a moment. But when I invite people into a vulnerable point, you know, and and we're on mission together, that's a whole other set of uh, it's a whole other paradigm of which we're playing in, right? Yeah. And so yeah, I think that there's a lot of hindrance in terms of comparison and compartmentalization. 
And you're right. Like there's this idea that, okay, we could just do church in this way and I can be around the same people and do the same things. Yeah. But this is not, it's not, that is not what we're called to. Mm. Um, no, and I, if, if you hang out with me long enough, I'll give this illustration a lot. But one of my favorite miracles in the New Testament is Mark 2, where the paralyzed man is lowered down through a roof that his best friends ripped open just to get this guy to Jesus. But I love that story because of Mark chapter one, where Jesus is up late in the night doing miracles. The whole town is gathered. And then it says early the next morning before the sun gets up, he goes away to be alone hmm. with his father. And his disciples come find him and they basically say, Jesus, we, we think you should build, everybody's looking for you. We should stay here a while. We, we, should do, we should stay here, maybe build a ministry center. Like we could really do some good work here. And he comes away from that alone time with the father and says, that's not my mission. I have to go to other towns. And then Mark chapter two happens and he heals the paralyzed man. And so I would say another, another thing that happens, just an indirect, an indirect multiplication thing that we have to focus on is how often are we getting alone to the fa- with the Father to remind ourselves of the mission? And not even remind ourselves, that's probably a bad way of putting it. Let the Father through the Holy Spirit remind us that we are a sent people. We are here just as Jesus was here to seek and to save that which is lost. Yeah. And we're motivated not by multiplication, we're motivated by love. Yeah. Multiplication happens as a result mm-hmm. of love, right? Talk to anybody who's had a kid. Wow, wow I got you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. I that first. And lastly, I just want to say this. Uh, multiplication happens as a result of life-on-life discipleship. You cannot do disciples. like You cannot make disciples from a stage. It's a part of it. Don't get me wrong. Jesus, Jesus did teach people in the math. He gave parables. I'm not trying to downplay what megachurches are doing. We were a part of megachurches and they're doing an incredible work by teaching, but you cannot make disciples that way. To be a disciple means to be a learner, under, an apprentice underneath a master. Okay, my dad did not become a sheet metal worker by sitting in a classroom. He had to go out and sit underneath a master sheet metal worker so that he could actually do it alongside that person. Hmm. It is life on life. You don't become a disciple maker just in a classroom or in a pew or in a row in an auditorium. It is life on life. And I, I think one of the, like, if you really want multiplication, um, I, I really do think you've got to focus on life on life discipleship. It's not yeah. just a one day thing. It's a 24 seven thing. Mm-hmm. So, it, Man, and the thought that came to my mind or the question is like, can you be a disciple if you've never made a disciple? Hmm. And I think that's the thing of disciple as a learner is learning the ways of Jesus and obeying them. Yeah. And Jesus did that. Yeah. And not only did he do that, but he said, I mean, the two things that if we just yeah. had these two, like the Dude. great commission, and the great commandment, like love the Lord your God with everything. So the whole gospel for the whole self yeah. to be that for the whole world. Yeah. And, I, and I, you know, for me, that's been a convicting thing as a pastor uh, formerly known as, <laughs> you know, I would joke about that, but for real, like this idea that like people come to me and then I disciple them from a stage yeah. or through a curriculum. Um, I was convicted because there's been a lot of my career where I hadn't been actually discipling anybody. 
Um, and that's, you know, that, that was a punch in the gut of this life that we're called to live is not of extravagance and not out of popularity. Yeah. And it comes with a great deal of, of hurt and suffering. Yeah. And, and that is the messiness of life. People are not our possessions or our projects. Mm -hmm. That makes us feel good when we sit, we gather people around us that like us. Right. But when you're doing life together with people and you're discipling them, the messiness of life comes out and it is hard and it is rough. Yeah. And there's a lot of things going on in our lives that need addressed to go from unbelief to belief. Because mm-hmm. every pocket of our lives, no matter what, no matter where you are today, you're not perfect. You're not mm. Jesus. There's something that you're holding on to that you don't believe that Jesus can resurrect. That you don't believe that Jesus has the, the lordship and the throne over. Yeah. And we go from unbelief in that to belief in that. And the only way, exactly what you're saying, the only way to do that is if we have people that are journeying with us along the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so can we talk about how this works within our family? Yeah, we want to, yeah. I, like, I think that's a good a good way to describe it. We want to be, uh, we want the rhythm, our rhythm team to be those people that are coming alongside you, guiding you along the way. Yeah. And so- it's not our mission that we're going to place on you. It's your mission that God's called you to mm-hmm. in this season of life to yeah. discover that. And we want to help you discover that. We want to help you resource that um, because it does take resources, not just financially, uh, but it takes it does take a village. It takes a community. It takes a network of people that are pouring into the same yeah. uh, kind of the same thing. Give the uh, Papua New Guinea. Example. Oh yeah. Of just yeah. yeah. Our friend Rob Wagner talked about this Thanks, a while Rob. back. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to him. But you know, I, I forget. I'm going to butcher the the amount of languages that are spoken in Papua New Guinea. But it's, it's like lot. three thousand different <laughs> yeah. dialects and languages in a in a really small area. And so, if you were a missionary in Papua New Guinea, you wouldn't come to Papua New Guinea and then have people go all everybody come to one location. They wouldn't be able to simply wouldn't be able to understand. Yeah. You know, if they all did. And so what you would do is you would go to different pockets within Papua New Guinea. And we talk about this. We actually just had this equipping gathering last week of yeah. you probably wouldn't be the one that did that, like to, to reach that particular dialect or that particular tribe or that area. You'd actually go, as Jesus taught in Matthew 10 and Luke 10, mm-hmm. and find a person of peace. Yeah. And that person would help open up a network of relationships with you or even you would then train them to do that, yeah, and then build that up and yeah. you know and go forward. So, so I think that's a good segue then into like some people when they hear about what we're doing will use the term house church. Mm-hmm. Oh, you guys are just doing house churches. How is it different in that way? Then, like, I know your your feathers get real ruffled when somebody ruffled. says that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, so it's describe why that bothers you and, and why that's not the intent. It doesn't is. matter the size, right? So we we say mega church or micro church. We use these terms, right? And it, it just is an example of or illustrated of a big, large gathering or mm-hmm. a small, small gathering. And the reality is, you can have a large group and be you can have a large group and be missionally fixated and focused. Yeah. Um, but what often happens is we, as we've been mentioning, we become community focused. And so then it comes, it turns inward. And so a house church can do the same. Yeah. 
And, and so it could be the prevailing model or tractional model. You attract people with community. Hey, we're authentic community. Come on in. And that is attractional to people. And that's often what a house church connotates is this idea of like, we just gather together once a week. Yeah. We, you know, we do a worship service in a house and then we go on about our lives. Again, compartmentalization. What a micro church is or what a movement is, is that we, like we've been talking about, is being a disciple that makes disciples and we're mission focused or fixated. And so what we do for a gathering is only a microcosm of what it is and what it means to be a community that's on mission. And so it entails our whole life, not yeah. just Sunday yeah. or a particular hour of worship service or study, but it's how that is enacted in habits to outcomes yeah. going forward. And so what are the things, the rhythms of life that I'm uh, reflecting of Jesus? Yeah. And then how, what's the outcome I'm desiring of that? What's the outcome that Jesus is desiring for me? Mm-hmm. Not just of what I want, but what does he want? And so that's, that's a little bit of what yeah. the difference is. Well, how would you describe that? Or what am, what am I missing? No, I when I think house church, I th- I think of people or the the point is to bring people into a house. It's to gather them mm. and to bring them in from your neighborhood or from your network and bring them in. And I just envision that, you know, there's 15 minutes of singing and there's a kid lesson and then there's uh there's a 30-minute sermon that somebody gives cuz they're theologically trained. Um and I I think that what we're doing is more expansive than that. It could look like that, by the way. Somebody could, in, in one of our rhythm communities, say, I just feel called to do that. That's my mission. And we would help equip them to do that and make disciples in that way. But it's broader mm-hmm. than that. And I, I really like the prepositions that we've used from the beginning in terms of formed by God with one another for the sake of others, for the good of others. Mm-hmm. And so those three prepositions are really important to me. They're powerful in these formational communities because first and foremost, we want to be formed into the likeness of Jesus by God. It's not something we do. This is his work, his transformative work to make us a people of justice, to make us a people of mercy, compassion, love, joy, peace. He's forming us into that new humanity that where Christ is the head. So by him, with one another, we don't have to do this alone. And even if we are decentralized, we're together in this and we're learning from one another. We're upholding one another in fasting and prayer. But all of this is for the sake of the world. It's not for our little community. It's, it's, it is outward focused. We care more about sending than collecting, mm-hmm. right? We're not interested in collecting people. We're interested in equipping them and sending them into their God-given purpose. Absolutely. Not our given purpose, for them, their God-given purpose. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I, I love that we're getting to do this together. I think that God has expanded our, our vision beyond even our zip code. Originally, it was like, we're going to focus on the 85212 yeah. East Mesa area. And <laughs> and now we're, we've just got a broader vision beyond even just as in the valleys is in heaven, but we're working with people from the Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. We're talking with people from India. We're, you know, we're supporting a guy in Northern Ireland. We're, we're trying to expand, okay, God, maybe this, is, this multiplication thing is bigger than what we originally imagined. Yeah. It's a global movement. Yeah. And uh, I, I think for, yeah, for, for me, I know for us, it, it's, um, 
we put limits so much on what God can do because we see it through the lens of what we want to do or what we think we need to do. Yeah. And, you know, the A5212, it's not that we don't care. We're not skipping over, you know, this neighborhood to go somewhere else. No. It's just a matter of we would, yeah, we we would do ourselves a disservice if we didn't open up yeah. the idea of this not looking just like us yeah. and looking more like every tribe, tongue, and nation that's yeah. going to be represented in heaven. And everybody, no matter what you are, where you are, who you are, has the opportunity to find freedom and purpose in the kingdom. Yeah. And that's what we want to do. Yeah. We want to come alongside to just point in that direction. Yeah. And you had said this uh, illustration. Give your illustration of the midwife. Because I think this is a perfect way to end Maybe this is, yeah. our yeah. podcast today. Yeah. And that is it's exactly right. We don't we're not the ones that are giving birth. Right. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it out. when I was doing my training in spiritual direction, uh, we read a book that over and over again came back to the image of a, a midwife that as spiritual directors, that we're not the ones giving birth, but we're just helping other people to birth what God wants to birth in their life. Mm -hmm. And and so we're just coaching them in that and we're with them and there's presence with them and we're just attentive to what God is doing in that person. And I really think as disciple makers that that's how I see my job as pastor, spiritual director, whatever you want to call it, you know, and your job Adam and, mm -hmm. and our team at Rhythm wants to be spiritual midwives. We want to come alongside people and see whatever God is doing in them, whatever the Holy Spirit is anointed in them, we want to see that give birth in their life. And we just want to be along for the ride. And ultimately we, we want to be there afterwards too, to yeah. continue to care. So yeah, I just, I love that metaphor. It's a, it's a gentle image. It's a good reminder for me of my calling in all this. And I'm just reminded of the miracle of birth, right? Like that is miraculous yeah. that that happened. And so just having that imagery of like every church that's birthed yeah. in the Valley or around the world is a miracle an expression of the kingdom. And that's something to champion, it's something to be a part of, and it's certainly something to celebrate as we continue on. Yeah. Any last thoughts? I would just say um, this is possible for everyone. So if you're listening to all this and you're thinking, yeah, but I'm not formally trained. Again, I want to remind you that it's about the Holy Spirit. If you're thinking, nah, you, you don't know the sin in my life or, or the habits that I'm stuck in, mm -hmm. uh, Maybe, maybe read through the Gospels again. See the kind of people that Jesus <laughs> surrounded himself with, that he chose as the disciple makers that would see this on for 2,000 years. And so I, my, I think my only closing thought is by the power of the Spirit, with you learning God's love language, which is obedience, we can do this together. Amen. So thanks for listening. Yeah, see you next week. Peace. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Life and Rhythm Podcast. We are on mission to live freely and lightly with one another for the good of others. Peace.